Hi, I'm Josh Brown. I'm here with Michael Batnick, as always, and we're about to play our favorite game, What Are Your Thoughts? Michael doesn't know what I'm going to ask him, and I don't know what he's going to ask me. Stick around. Let's see what's happening. Okay, Michael, I want to get to the big topic of the day first, which is this repo rates thing. Um, long story short, on Monday and a, and a little bit on Tuesday, there was an issue with overnight borrowing uh, where rates shot up, and a lot of people are ascribing technical factors to it. Uh, we don't really need to get into technical what Technical factors happen when you have no idea what's going on. I guess. Now, people are saying, like, it was this confluence of – there was a treasury auction at the same time that corporate taxes were like due. There's like an IRS something. Yeah. Yeah. So what ended up happening was all of a sudden there wasn't enough liquidity um, for everything the banks needed. And so the, the rate jumped up and people took note of that because typically that rate stays within the confines of what the Fed is doing with overnight uh, Fed funds rate. So the fact that that jumped all of a sudden, everyone wrote 500 articles about it, and I'm not dismissing it. I'm not saying well, it's not does important. That, does that signal that the Fed is actually going to raise rates today to keep it in line with that? No. I, I think it signals that the Fed is going to have to talk about what they want to do so that that doesn't happen again. And so what the way they've dealt with it is – I'm going to get to my question in a second. The way that they've been dealing with that is um, – Spot operations, meaning they came in yesterday with like $73 billion of liquidity um, and that, that rate then backed down. Um, and then the question is, will they do some kind of a standing solution where they just say, okay, here's the, the repo rate and we're going we're gonna to come with, with money whenever it's needed. Uh, but I guess my question to you is the stock market all of a sudden paid attention to this. What do you mean? Um, it seemed to be like a lot of the bears who have always been hunting for reasons why – you know, there's a canary in the coal mine. We're about to melt down. Now they're seizing on that. Is that all it is? Or? Well, the stock market did not react. Participants. Participants. Uh, but those people always react. So is, I guess what I'm asking is like, is this just another case of it's a dull market? There's not that much to talk about. I don't know anything about this repo market, but Sentiment Trader had a great tweet. He said, all this in only a week. The yield curve will trigger a, cra a crash, and it's, it's a meme, of course. No, the shift out of momentum, oil spike, repo rates, wait till Powell disappoints. Right. So, and, then, and then I think it also happened at the same time that we had this oil spike, and people are trying to draw a line between the two being But related. the market did pretty much nothing yesterday, and it's doing nothing it's, today. Stocks ended up basically mixed, flat to mixed. Nothing. Yeah. Went nowhere. All, all right, right. What do you got? Um... So we were talking about this earlier. I actually forgot that I put this in as a question. Did you see the Bill Burr special on Netflix? I didn't watch it yet, no. It's, it's pretty, I think it's brand new. Okay. So now the outrage culture has gone the other way. So far the other way that every single comedian brings it up in their act. So, uh, they bring up cancel culture? Yeah. Like that's like a so now it's like comedians are outraged that the audience is outraged. And I kind of understand where they're coming from. I think maybe it's just like good fodder. How could they not talk about it? But what are your thoughts on this? It's like a backlash to a, to a backlash, yeah. I guess. Um, well, I understand the idea that if you stand up on stage and say risky things for a living, you would be on the forefront of fighting back when those risky things you're saying are triggering like these Twitter outrage mobs. And, you know, I, I guess that's like an occupational risk for them. It's no different then an occupational risk for a stock market pundit is to like make a really big call that goes against them. Like I, I feel like every career has a thing that makes it hard to do 
if that didn't exist, then these guys wouldn't get rewarded for being so risky. And speaking like of if, rewarding— If you could say anything, then how hard would it be to stand out as a comic? Don't you so, think that there has potentially never been a time, better time to be a stand-up comedian with Netflix just giving money to everyone? Maybe only like the top comedians, but— Yeah, and Netflix is actually giving money to the guys that take the biggest risk. Like, the, like they're giving money to Dave Chappelle— and Dave Chappelle doesn't care what anyone thinks about what he says. So it's, uh, there's, there's an investing parallel. It's like, are you willing to take the risk? Um, and, and if you are, you're not guaranteed a reward, but that's how you put yourself in line for a potential reward. So I, I, I think it's just like a normal career risk that people doing anything have. And, uh, you know, bravo, you know, to, to the people that want to go out and fight it. Um, and we're the audience, so we get to laugh. You know, I don't think we take as much of a risk laughing as they, they take making jokes. Um, what did you think about last week? There was this huge move in value stocks relative to growth stocks. What did you think about the commentary that, that came along? Like, pe like people are – it's such a desert. It's such a drought for that investing style that three days of outperformance and people get so excited. But we've seen that over and over again. In other words, like, tell me when we get six months of value out for yeah, I don't, but I don't, I don't really think that anybody was like pounding the table on this being the end of the cycle. Do you? I, I, I saw, saw, I saw a lot of people saying what you're saying that value managers are now like doing victory laps, but I didn't see anybody doing a victory lap. So who's the contrarian at this point? Like everyone, so everyone agrees value will have a comeback. Nobody thinks it's right now. Lee Drogan's been saying value is dead for a while, like just dead, dead. No, I, we all agree it's dead. Like no, dead and permanently dead. Permanently dead. I I hate I hate the word permanently with anything to do with investing. I mean, with good reason. Could there be could there be mean reversion and it still be dead? In other words, could it go on to outperform for a year but still just be in a? So that's a good point. If value stocks like they caught a huge bid last week, and I'm not saying it's going to stick. I I have a theory that it has to do with interest rates, um, and to a lesser extent. Uh, maybe oil. Like I feel like a lot of the value stocks are in energy right now. It's just because they've been so, so it's beaten sector, up. It's sector, but don't and you, then banks. But don't you think that also like companies have disrupted fundamental analysis or value investing? Like what Amazon is able to do with. Of course, all those arguments still have merit. But you and I were preparing for my show last week, and there was this huge overlap in the Russell 2000 making a comeback and value outperforming um, growth. Think of what's in the Russell well, 2000. Especially the Russell 2000 value. It's like 30, 40% banks. It's banks. Yeah. So I'm saying, like, I think interest rates backing up, like the 10-year backing up, um, obviously is correlated to it. Is it driving it? Well, because banks have been – banks move with that with the yield. Okay. So if you're somebody that's like value is going to make a comeback now, you also have to be somebody that's like rates are too low and they're going up. Yeah. Well, you can't say yeah. rates are going lower by value. Right. Because the correlation is so obvious – at least right now. It could change, but that's uh, what it is. Um, all right, what do you got? Uh, there was an article that I tweeted yesterday. I don't know if it's an old article, but it basically said the cost of a living is like $350,000 to live in a city. Any city? I don't know. Maybe Coastal City. But is that just like the height of nonsense? I mean, how you, many people live in New York City that don't make $350,000? So it's not the cost of living. It's, how, it's what your annual income has to be. It's two different things. But whatever. To, to, raise a, to have a, a middle-class lifestyle, which is totally up for interpretation. Yeah, because how much are they saying you're saving? But my point is nobody thinks they're middle class. Well, middle class is, is, middle, the, middle class is a regional 
uh, distinction. Meaning, I don't know if I'm phrasing that right. You could be middle class in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and not be middle class. Yeah, in but New York. you could be, but you could be middle class uh, in like our town and be upper class for Long Island and be in the top one percent in New York State, for instance. Well, the New York Metro. Let's just look at that in totality. If you live in the New York Metro um, and you're upper middle class, odds are one or both spouses are taking a train into. But Manhattan. if you so feel you're thing. upper middle class, or if you by the numbers are upper middle class. Yeah, I don't. I don't and know. upper middle class is is rich. Like nobody's gonna say I'm rich. Like you call yourself upper middle class, right? But then like it, so they just they just put the cap the capper on Central Park Tower, which is 57th Street. There are 179 apartments in it. That's it. It's gonna be the largest residential building in the world. So all these apartments are seven million and up. So imagine living down the street from that, making three hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know you're not upper middle class like where you live you're just not i mean but that's really an extreme example are, but, but that's but that's my point it is it is like the most relative thing here's one of the most interesting things i saw about this they're talking this is in the context of politics they're talking about all of these red states now that have these growing blue metropolitan areas such as and, um all over the south like th like atlanta within the state of georgia is one example but there's like 20 examples of this um it's actually turning texas uh, purple, this phenomenon. So what they're saying is that people earning decent incomes but not high enough incomes to stay in big cities like New York, Chicago, L.A., they are moving to second and third tier cities. Phoenix, Vegas. And this is having an impact on the electoral map because these are people that have college degrees, they're, they're educated, ben Thompson, they're liberal. Actually, ben Thompson just wrote a whole piece on this. Yeah, so I think that's, that's a real phenomenon. And um, – yeah, I mean these are middle class, upper middle class enclaves within red states that have a lot of. Getting rural back to my poverty. point, the idea that you need to make three fifty to live in a city is absurd. Again, but it's what city? Because I think no, if, it's, no, no, it's not what city. A lot yes, of it is. no, it's not. There's how many eleven million people live in New York City? Okay, take New York City out of it. Take L.A. and San Francisco out of it. If you make three hundred fifty thousand dollars, you can live in the city of Phoenix. Very, very, very comfortably, better than most of the. You residents. can live very comfortably in New York City for three hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. Queens. No, because this is the that's how many stupid, kids? How many kids? That stupid thing where it's like if you have two kids and you you max out your four hundred one k and you save this, you spend this, and you do all your savings and spending, and you're left with like zero dollars. Do you but, have a car? Do you have a garage? Come on, nonsense. No, I'm serious. These do you have a car? That changes. It, it costs you four hundred dollars a month to park. That's what a lot of people pay for a high-end car. You don't need lease. a car in New York City. Need and, and I don't even want to get into things. line items. The idea is right. absurd. All right. This is what I got for you. Uh, are you ready for the Daniel Jones era? Have you thought about the, the implications for the direction of the what team? What should be happening is he should be stepping into the lineup with Odell and Saquon. Okay. Well, that's not an option. Yeah, I know. So Sterling's out. I don't know who he's going to throw to. Who cares to. about that? It's just nonsense. Saquon will probably break a, a personal rushing record. The whole, the whole thing is disgusting. Uh, but yes, I'm ready. I'm excited. And here's a newsflash. I picked up uh, Daniel Jones in the Ritholtz Fantasy League. I'm not starting him this week against the Bucks. I'll probably wait till I see him play for a week or two. Is that the dumbest thing I could possibly do, do you think? You've, I like to trigger you've you. You've done with a this. lot dumber things. In, with, in I don't sp think so. With sports takes. So. No, 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 no. In fantasy, I haven't done dumb things. I don't pay attention to your fantasy. <laughs> All right. I, I may start him next year. All right, guys. Uh, ben had a good tweet. 
This is just like the dot-com bubble, except every high-profile tech IPO is getting slaughtered, and the most egregiously valued private company can't figure out how to go public. And retail investors are indexing instead of quitting their j- uh, job-to-day trade. Yeah. But other a, than that. Yeah, it's a fucking mania other than that. Um, ben Thompson from Strathecory had a similar tweet. Wait. What? I just said Ben Thompson. I thought you said Ben Carlson. No. But who is the other Ben from, uh, from The Atlantic? Oh, Ben Carlson's boyfriend? Yeah. What's his name? I love that guy. I it, forgot his name. Isn't that name. Ben Thompson? No. There's too many Bens. That's Derek. That's Derek. Derek Thompson. So, uh, ben Thompson said, he tweeted, uh, he, he tweeted something about like uh, companies that are losing money can't go public. So that makes this just like 1999. Yeah. So I, I was there. I could tell you that nobody cared if anyone was making money or not. There were just three IPOs a day. It was like the morning IPO, the lunchtime IPO, and they weren't all dot-coms. It was worse. They were competitive local exchange carriers, which were telecom companies that would basically set up shop within a larger telecom company and sell time on a, on a fiber optic network. And these things were losing like a billion dollars and going public with ease. Um, you also had tons of genomics IPOs on, on the biotech side. Nothing like that is going on right now. The different, the thing that makes people think it is, is how high profile, like Uber. And how big the company is. Like Uber, Uber was, Slack. these are huge So Uber was deals. $68 billion pre-IPO, I think at its peak. Now it's, yeah, so, now it's public and it's 59 billion. Speaking of which. So you didn't have that. Quick little plug. This book is awesome. Oh, you're reading it? Yeah, I'm almost done. Really can good. I, can I read it when you're done? Yes, very, very good. Shout out to Mike Isaac. Very good. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Is is a company as toxic as everyone thinks, or what? Or was the company as toxic as everyone thinks? Yes. <laughs> hard, hard yes. Short answer is yes. All right, cool. Hey, uh, let us know what you guys think on all these topics. We love your feedback. We love your comments. Go below and uh, make sure you go ahead and give us a like. Give us a follow if you're not already subscribed. Uh, And we will be back very soon.